Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The old world is dying. The new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. Um, so this week, I want to take a look at maybe like imaginary monsters, these sort of fears that are conjured up uh, by the uh, ruling elite of the United States and um, uh, perhaps some other Western nations as they uh, try to navigate through the world and and like imagine possible threats. Um, the immediate spur to this is the sort of uh, release of a finding from the um, uh, United States National Security uh, that uh, they've concluded that Havana syndrome uh, you know, like, actually, that is not real. Uh, and this is a, a topic that had taken up a lot of press uh, over the last few years. Um, uh, the claim that there was some uh, foreign foe of the United States, possibly Cuba, Russia, China. It, it was never quite decided on who it was that had created a super weapon that was causing American diplomats and uh, military officials and intelligence officials to um, suddenly... Uh, have uh, uh, injuries and the uh, the the findings are sort of respectful, but maybe in the sense that one would do to a patient suffering from a psychosomatic illness. Like, yes, we respect uh, your experience. Uh, uh, it's uh, everything you say you felt is true, uh, but actually we can't actually find a, a medical basis for this. Uh, and so to talk about this, but and I, I think the Havana syndrome story is a good example of what one might call the psychosomosis of empire. The, the um, the way in which an imperial anxiety can lead um, the uh, elite to not just uh, sort of conjure up fears, but actually also believe them. Uh, and it's far from the only example in recent years. And to um, talk about this, I'm very happy to have on uh, Branko uh, Marchteach, who is a, a writer for Jacobin, and who wrote about uh, uh, both Havana syndrome and the other examples of sort of threat inflation that have existed. So um, maybe uh, we can just start by just, yeah, rehearsing what is what was Havana syndrome, and why have we now concluded that it never actually existed? 
Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, Havana Syndrome was uh, a, a, a series of, I think they call them anomalous health incidents. Uh, it's the kind of official parlance in the in the you know intelligence community, quote unquote. Um, uh, and so it was it was a it was a bunch of different health symptoms that cropped up around, I, I believe, first in the the embassy, the U.S. embassy in Cuba, among diplomats and intelligence agents. Um, but then uh, once news about it came to light and it became kind of a, a, a big deal in the news, uh, you started to see this get um, uh, people experiencing it, you know, all over the world uh, in various uh, U.S. government buildings, you know, various embassies around the world among diplomats, not just in Cuba. I think actually at, at, by the end, you know, I remember uh, there was a, there was Serbian diplomats <laughs> who were, who were feeling it, you know, um, and Serbia is not exactly anymore kind of a geopolitical uh, adversary of the United States. So this was sort of, sort of cropping up everywhere. And I think it points to um, what you were talking about there, which is that a lot of the stuff was, was almost certainly um, uh, psychosomatic. It was, it was stuff that through the power of suggestion, and through the power um, uh, of the mind, through the power of, 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 of anxiety and, and, and psychological stress and all, every, all these different things, that people were sort of almost willing these symptoms into existence, which doesn't mean that they weren't feeling them, um, but it does mean that uh, the culprit was not necessarily some uh, uh, high-tech microwave weapon uh, that, that some, you know, ne'er-do-well supervillain uh, was blasting at people, but, but more... Uh, uh, an internal uh, psychological problem, which you know we can we can go into that a little bit, but yeah, may may point to a, a, a certain level of yeah imperial anxiety or you know perhaps even some sort of um, uh, perhaps guilt uh, or, or, or other uh, 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 emotional um, adjustments among the people who are you know basically running U.S. foreign policy. Yeah, no, I I think that's um, uh, right. I mean, I, one can uh, even to cite historical examples. I mean, I think it's pretty well documented that um, a lot of the people you know who are in the CIA in the original years of the nineteen forties and fifties and sixties, um, uh, you know, they sort of self medicated uh, <laughs> whether through alcohol or or uh, the other you know pharmaceutical aids, uh, and it you know it doesn't take much to imagine that if you know if you're day-to-day job involves, you know, torture and uh, um, uh, in, uh, alliances with uh, criminals and uh, all sorts of unsavory uh, activities, you, you know, you might uh, self, um, uh, deal with that. And then one can see sort of Havana syndrome as a co- continuity uh, uh, with this issue, that there is a sort of psychological damage that comes from uh, being an agent of empire, uh, but, but we'll we'll get to that more in a bit. But one thing I want to your piece brings up, which I I want to underscore, um, is that the media was very credulous about this. Uh, now, now, not all the media. Um, on a previous uh, podcast, um, I had on uh, Natalie Schur from uh, the New Republic, and who wrote a very good piece uh, a few years ago, just uh, you know casting skeptical doubt on it. But I think among the more mainstream media, there was a lot that sort of um, a lot of reporting. It just took Havana syndrome at face value, as if there was a you know super weapon out there. We just have to find the culprit, um, which is all the more amazing because you know, like as people pointed out at the time, such a super weapon would have to like violate like you know like sort of known laws of like you know uh, physics. We we don't actually 
have any way of conceiving of how such a weapon would work based on existing science. Yeah, I mean, you would also think that it might be used by one of these uh, uh, malevolent governments um, in, say, uh, a war that they were fighting, perhaps the, the war in Ukraine, right? I mean, if, if, if Russia was one of the governments that was accused at various points, because it's, as you mentioned, it's cycled through a, a number of different kind of um, uh, uh, villains, US villains, uh, who are supposed to be responsible for this. Russia was one of them at one point. Um, you would think if they had this great technology, they would be using it uh, in Ukraine, particularly if it doesn't um, require uh, artillery and apparently it could be, um, you know, launched from from great distances. Um, you would think that would be quite helpful for them, uh, given some of the struggles that they're having uh, uh, fighting this war. But but you know, the fact that it, it wasn't uh, was, I think, one more kind of nail in the coffin for this narrative. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's. Uh, Unfortunately, there is a, a tendency in the press uh, to take anything that comes out of the, the, the mouth of a government official um, as, as basically fact, uh, which uh, I'm not saying that, you know, government officials and, and, and intelligence officials are always uh, lying. Uh, but, I mean, given the track record, you know, we have to think about, you know, what, what happened with the Iraq war. Uh, uh, let alone so many other things since then. I mean, so, so many things just in the last few years where we've been told certain things by anonymous government officials and then they turn out not to be true. You would think that this would inspire a little more uh, caution among journalists to not just sort of rush to print, um, you know, oh, well, the, you know, we've been told by three anonymous people that, that this is the case. And so that must be the, must be true. You know, I, I, I wish that people took a little more of a skeptical uh, perspective um, when they were told this stuff. Um, and I mean, you know, I, I'm being a little bit hard in the media when I write about this stuff, because it wasn't uh, the entirety of the media that, that, that kind of swallowed this uncritically besides, you know, you, you mentioned Ali Sherm and, and there's definitely been a lot of kind of independent media that has been pretty, skeptical of this but um and there's also been you know more mainstream press outlets that have also done good work and that, that you know have, have are part of the reason why we were able to kind of with more finality say okay this is this is probably not true you know i think about buzzfeed um they put out that piece whatever it was two two years ago maybe three years ago um where where they they, they wrote about the state department report uh that that determined the <laughs> The, the actual Havana syndrome, the actual microwave weapon was actually just the uh, the sound of crickets that, that, that people in the embassies were hearing. So, you know, so so there is, it does exist, but the problem is, you know, and I, I've compiled this in a, in a previous piece before this most recent one I wrote, um, you can you can go back, go, you know, set your Google uh, uh, time to, you know, whatever, 2017 to 2019, look up Havana syndrome. You'll see that, that, um, that there's just umpteen headlines and pieces that, that that blast out you know microwave weapon used to attack americans uh, uh as just as if it's just settled fact when in actual fact it was basically just a hearsay that was being repeated uh, and that was being basically laundered um uh, by the press unwittingly yeah, that's right and um as you mentioned havana syndrome is not the only one and and there's a few other examples one could bring up um I, the one i want to sort of just highlight right now um is uh the sort of bombing of the uh, nord stream pipeline uh just because we've seen a very interesting kind of trajectory that and it's uh, sort of breaking news um uh in terms of 
uh, you know, like when the uh, bombing first happened, there's all sorts of you know debate as to who could have done it. Um, and there was a prominent line that was put forward that Russia itself did this, which like just on a lo logical level, like didn't make a lot of sense. Like, like why would Russia bomb its own pipeline? Like, like it would be, you know, as if like, you know, Joe Biden decided to, you know, pull up the pipelines in North Dakota and Alaska. Uh, the, um, uh, but, you know, and then uh, um, uh, the uh, famed investigative reporter Seymour Hirsch came out with, um, uh, you know, a piece that got a lot of attention. It was very controversial, um, uh, citing sources that claimed that it was um, an operation that was ordered by the U.S. government and carried out by um, intelligence agencies. And there was a lot of, you know, questions raised about that. Well, there was um, only one kind of source that was named supposedly uh, who was like kind of um, anonymous. Uh, usually the way, but I mean, the way Hirsch works is he would tries to give you the minimum of sources because the, he talks to a lot of people, but, but, you know, like in that, you know, there's like one kind of quoted source um, in addition to whoever else he talked about. And it's all anonymous. Yeah. Um, and there were other issues raised about that reporting. But one of the interesting consequences of his reporting is that suddenly, you know, a few weeks later, the New York Times comes up with an article um, also based on anonymous uh, intelligence uh, sources uh, that says, uh, well, you know, um, the, uh, there's uh, some concern that the uh, uh, bombing was done by what is bizarrely described as a pro-Ukrainian group uh, that is not beholden to President Zelensky or anyone in the Ukrainian government, uh, which might have received training at some point from <laughs> other unnamed sources. No, 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 no. The, the one thing, I mean, we can raise all sorts of questions about this New York Times report as we should, but I, I think that one thing to mark is that it's a definite break from the narrative that Russia did it. Like, like now we're saying, okay, um, Russia did it, it moved to, well, now it's like some amorphous group that went rogue, uh, but not Russia, and was doing it for the pro-Ukrainian side. Um, the, well, what, what do you make of all this? Well, yeah, number one, uh, among the reasons why it didn't make sense that it was Russia, uh, is that it's not just that it's own infrastructure, though, of course it is. Uh, Nord Stream was a key part of their leverage over Europe. I mean, Putin had already turned off the gas um, as, as part, you know, as a response to the sanctions. Uh, against them uh, and if you blow it up and you can no longer you know have that kind of carrot of potentially turning the, uh, the, the gas back on you've completely demolished your own leverage so uh, for that reason it made no sense among among the ones that you um, quite correctly listed um, I mean in terms of the, this reporting it's it, it's deeply bizarre uh, it's very difficult to know what to make of it you know at the end of the day it, who you uh, which version of the story you believe may come down to who you trust more do you trust seymour hirsch who has definitely gotten a lot of stuff right um and who has you know had some stuff in the past that, that maybe was a little more dubious um but nevertheless you know what has been called all sorts of names and smeared and and, and labeled a liar for stories that ended up being completely true like the milai massacre uh or do you believe U.S. intelligence, um, which, you know, I, I think uh, uh, had a, a bit of a success um, last year when they kind of predicted the, the Russian invasion, although I think the story about that is a little more complicated. We can maybe talk about that later. Um, but besides that one instance, um, 
has been has a very spotty record. And even over the course of this this war in Ukraine, um, they've quite openly uh, said, uh, that, that, you know, officials have told NBC, oh, by the way, sometimes when we um, we give information, you know, classified intelligence to the press, it's not actually intelligence. We actually don't know if it's true. And it actually might just be stuff that could happen rather than stuff that is happening. So, um, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of weirdness in this. I mean, uh, I think it's also worth mentioning how th- th- that New York Times report, and, and by the way, I, I at this point take no real strong position on what exactly is true and, and, and what isn't. I think it's possible for uh, there to be bits of truth in, in all of these different versions um, and, and for them to be wrong in other ways. I also think it's completely possible for, for Hirsch to be completely right. I, I think, I think you know, we, we, there needs to be some sort of government investigation, ideally, to, to, to actually get to Bobo. But, well, I would um, actually add that in a lot of ways, I, I, and if you read the New York Times article closely, it is compatible with much of what is also in Hirsch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, no, absolutely. They, I, mean, they it, say... it, I mean, one way to read the New York Times article is that it's basically, you know, saying that there was a group that was perhaps trained by, you know, um, uh, NATO or American uh, intelligence agencies and might have taken this initiative on their home, but had like, you know, prior support or whatever or it could just be what in you know intelligence is often called a limited hangout like it's a a kind of you know um provisional excuse you uh a provisional story you have to keep away from the real story uh it's a little bit of truth that you offer uh in lieu of giving the whole truth yeah well but even even this version of the truth i mean the amount of hedging and kind of qualifying going on in the new york times report almost makes it you know, you read it and you go, well, hold on. So is any of this even true? I mean, you know, it's like, well, this is, this is all preliminary information. This might be the case. We're not totally sure. Some of this suggests that this is the case. By the way, you can't see any of this intelligence. You just have to trust us. So it's, it's, it's very difficult to know what to believe. You know, your, your question about Russia, um, you know, uh, to me, this, this points to how this is so... Uh, uh, dangerous and how this kind of practice of, of, of the way the press just kind of uncritically accepts and then regurgitates um, stuff that officials tell them, uh, you know, how perilous it can be. I mean, if if people had really believed that that Russia had done this attack, what that would have meant was, I mean, I mean, in Hirsch's report, he quite correctly says, you know, an attack on 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 German energy infrastructure that's that's an act of war. That's mm-hmm. an act of war against a NATO state. I mean, thankfully, nothing came of this. But uh, it, it, you know, if people had really taken this this Russia story and run with it, it could have led to to something really disastrous. It could have led to you know um, a, a direct NATO Russia conflict, for instance. I mean, the people who were saying this were not were not you know minor figures, and they weren't even anonymous. I mean, there's a, there's a great supercut that uh, Matt Orfler did. Um, where he kind of compiled all these people on cable news uh, making this case, you know, just, just without any evidence um, uh, uh, blaming Russia. And it was people like John Brennan, you know, the former CIA director, uh, and, 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 a, and a bunch of other um, national security officials and politicians who were just making this case. In other words, you know, this, this is the most dangerous kind of misinformation you can possibly imagine. And it wasn't coming from... Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or, you know, random accounts, random social media users. It was coming from the highest levels of, of, of the U S government. Um, and it was, it was being broadcast through 
cable news, which millions of people, you know, uh, in the US and around the world uh, trust, sometimes even treat as gospel. Um, and, and, you know, that could have led to something really, really bad. Uh, thankfully, it didn't. Um, and now we're sort of left in this position where we're going, you know, now we're being fed a bunch of stories that, that to me don't make a lot of sense. I mean, the most recent one was this Times piece. Um, which which says that well actually it was a it was a private Ukrainian actor unconnected to the government um, even though all these investigators were saying after it happened um, you know in the last you know of the last whatever you know five six months it was a state actor it was, it was almost certainly a government that did this we don't know who but it must have been a government now they're saying actually no the entire time they knew it was a private actor that was connected to no government um, but they were. They, they couldn't say that because they were trying to protect Ukraine. Well, okay, if they were trying to protect Ukraine, how does it make more sense to say it was a government if if the reality is it wasn't a government? It doesn't, none of it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think I think is the, is the conclusion uh, I come to and, and probably anyone listening to this will. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, yeah, I, so we've gone from a sort of threat inflation uh, of, you know, blaming it on Russia um, to... Uh, this kind of nonsensical story, which doesn't make sense, which even if you take it on its own face value, like if there is a sort of private Ukrainian group that is blowing up pipelines, then actually isn't it in the interest of the United States and of NATO to, you know, locate that group and to stop it because they're like escalating a war uh, of which, you know, like, you know, Joe Biden, among others, has acknowledged like, you know, like escalation would be a very terrible thing and could lead to uh, a global catastrophe. So it just like it, Anyways, um, uh, so I think that, that along with Havana syndrome, it seems like this um, uh, the trajectory of the Nord Stream story does show the way in which the sort of you know misinformation uh, complex that's coming out of the intelligence world and uh, its media accomplices, like you know, like it does a lot of harm. Um, do you want to mention like a few other? Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, you know, greatest hits of like so some of these other things that have happened in recent years. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, just most recently uh, we had this uh, uh, panic uh, about Chinese spy balloons. Um, number one, what we were told was that the initial spy balloon, which was a spy balloon, but the initial spy balloon was um, uh, uh, a Chinese spy balloon was was uh, deliberately sent over the U.S. mainland as a, as a sort of provocation and 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 possibly as a, as a test. To, to see what the U.S. would do. Um, and then after that, you know, the, the week after that, we had three more objects that were supposed to be Chinese spy balloons that were uh, blasted out of the sky by U.S. fighter jets. Um, then we find out shortly after those objects are blown up, um, 
Number one, uh, official start to own the Washington Post. Well, actually, it wasn't that that we just learned about the balloon, you know, a few days before it entered US airspace. We were actually tracking it the entire time from the point that it, it, it left um, the, the, the Chinese base. Um, number two, also, we're pretty sure it was blown off course and, and it did not mean to go into the US mainland. It was, it was a, an accident. So completely contradictory. Which is, what the Chinese, which is, by the way, what the Chinese government maintained all along. But it continue, yeah. yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so and it completely contradicts what, what, what everyone was saying um, just before then. Then we find out that, uh, you know, Biden does a speech and he, and he admits, oh, these, uh, these balloons that we blast or these objects that we blasted out of the sky um which by the way thank god no one was hurt because one of the one of the missiles that they fired missed the balloon and thankfully just landed in water harmlessly but but you could imagine a million different scenarios where that could have gone much much worse um he says oh actually no these uh are not they're neither Chinese nor are they spy balloons. In fact, they're probably just sort of commercial and research balloons. In fact, they may well have been hobbyist balloons, um, <laughs> which which retail for as little as what twelve dollars um, that that they may have been firing at. I mean, absolutely yeah. ridiculous. But but that shows you how you know in this in this number one in this uh, climate of I think national security hysteria, and then number two um, when we just sort of take officials' words at face value, how quickly this can ramp up into some really reckless and, and rash actions on, on behalf of, of US officials. Now, okay, let me give you some other ones. I mean, a, a classic one was the, the Russian bounty story. Maybe people don't remember this. This was back in 2020, 2019. Um, the claim was that, that uh, uh, Russia was paying the Taliban uh, uh, money to kill US soldiers. A story that didn't make a lot of sense. I mean, the Taliban don't need a financial incentive <laughs> to kill U.S. soldiers. Number one. Um, also interesting to think about the outrage about that that story. Um, you know, in, in light of U.S. involvement in this war in Ukraine and how much further it, it's gone than, than just sort of paying bounties. But in any case, um, uh, that that was a that that story was around for months. Um, and eventually, you know, the, the the commander of the forces in Afghanistan said, I see no evidence of this happening. And yet, even so, I remember very distinctly watching MSNBC um a long time after this was was uh debunked, and I was still seeing anchors like Rachel Maddow and others saying that that this was um the, the this was just basically the case, ignoring the denials from from US military officials. Um, you know, there was a story. Back when Trump was trying to foment uh, war with Iran, there was a story about how Iran was was you know trying to uh, assassinate, uh, I think a U.S. diplomat in South Africa, um, and then South Africa eventually denied that that story was real. Uh, around the same time, there was you know, Iran was pinned for a, 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 a bombing of a of a I think a U.S. Uh, a ship. Um, that also later was, was, it was a story in the Associated Press that later was also rolled back. I mean, um, you know, you could go down the line actually just recently, right. We had this story about how, um, China was preparing to send weapons to, Ukraine, uh, to, to Russia to support its, its, its war. And, uh, that would be a significant, uh, story. It would be a significant development, a major escalation in the war potentially, um, uh, and, and the U.S. is preparing sanctions. Um, there was a lot of talk about this. And then just quietly, you know, uh, a few days ago, um, we're once again told that, well, actually, U.S. officials aren't, uh, don't really see the evidence that China's actually going to do this. 
Um, and, and they're not actually sure if that was really ever on the table. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, maybe just saying that they heard it from, from Russian officials. So, uh, you know, again, a, a piece of, re- mm. you know, reporting or supposed intelligence that could have led to, you know, something pretty drastic and, 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 and potentially disastrous uh, that ultimately we were told is not as, as firm, um, uh, uh, firmly based on reality as we were told initially. Yeah, no, and uh, I, I'm glad you brought the Taliban bounty hunters thing because it it shows how a lot of this stuff operates, which is you throw mud on the wall and some of it sticks. Even it sticks after the refutation. Like if you have enough stories about you know scary things happening, it doesn't matter that like you know weeks later there's like a correction on uh, page A thirty. Uh, oh, by the way, you know that was not right. They, they don't get the same amount of um, mm. uh, you know viral traction. Um, and then does seem uh it's a kind of like a method so i mean like at the start of the podcast we kind of started with um you know the sort of psychological explanation which i think in the case of havana syndrome seems to be on par but there is also like you know very much a kind of um um something that's not um uh coming out of the unconscious but of the conscious of of deliberate propaganda and of the uses of um these kind of hyster- historical stories to push certain policies so um i mean do you want to say something about that like like what seems to be like uh, uh being pushed along well it's always difficult to say conclusively or you know to, to say uh uh this is this is all being done because it's it's being it's deliberate lies or this is something that actually people really believe um and they're just wrong um i feel like it's often varying mixes of of the two um and i think i mean i think that the spy balloon <laughs> uh example is kind of a good uh, is, is a good illustration of that because um i i don't think uh u.s officials want to be flying fighter jets over u.s airspace firing missiles that potentially could miss and land god knows where um wasting missiles that, that cost what four hundred thousand dollars um to destroy the hobbyist balloons that, that that cost a tiny fraction of that um so that shows that that there is a level of actual genuine kind of um hysteria and, and sort of cognitive distortion going on um, but it's also true that, you know, among officials, uh, you know, whether it's it's elected people in Congress or members of the, the so-called intelligence community or, you know, whoever else in the gigantic sprawling national security state that exists in the United States, um, uh, there are people who do want to uh, stoke conflict uh, with, with, you know, uh, uh, these, these various adversarial governments. Um, and feeding intelligence, however dubious it might be. And, and you know, it may, be, it may not be that they're completely making it up, but maybe that this is just sort of some hearsay that they picked up. Maybe that there's just sort of, you know, they, they, they've gotten something inconclusive, but hey, it exists. And if it, if it serves that purpose, then, then why not give it to the press? You know, and some of these people may, may well believe that really uh, that this is a pressing uh, matter and, and that, that, that there is a real threat and, you know, that they're trying to, um uh, uh uh alert the public about something that they think they ought to know you know i don't want to say it's all completely cynical but um yeah i think uh, it, what it amounts to though it, it all of it all of it creates a kind of momentum of its own that once it gets going i think it's uh, unless you have people sensible people whether in government 
or the press or, uh, you know, politics more broadly kind of saying, okay, hold the phone. Let's just back up a second, take a breath, slow down and, and, and let's not, you know, jump to conclusions. I think unless you have those kinds of voices, it's very easy for things to just get out of control. And, and, you know, for this, what starts off as threat inflation to become uh, a, a real threat, as I think, unfortunately, we're sort of, that's sort of what we're seeing now, where, where all these, um, these stories about China um, and, and how threatening it is and how, um, you know, it, 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 it's doing all this malevolent stuff. And so therefore something has to be done to put a stop to it. It's uh, leading to very real uh, tensions between the US and China and very real diplomatic spats that are difficult to sort of undo once they get started. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that's, if I was to leave people with one thing, that would be a, 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 a key thing, you know, threat inflation can very quickly, but, you know, turn into a very real threat. And then by the end of, you know, God knows whatever that leads to, you look back and you go, well, what the hell, why, why did, why did we start all this? It was over a bunch of fake stories and, and sort of overinflated um, claims being made by anonymous officials. How, how, what a ridiculous reason to, you know, stoke a conflict that that's been so disastrous. Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, right. And I, I think uh, what I would underline from uh, your analysis is, you know, like motives are often mixed and uh, it's just the case that the people who um, would go into the national security state and especially intelligence have inherently sort of suspicious mindsets. And, you know, one can see this like in the history, in history, in terms of the Cold War, that, you know, a figure like James Jesus Angleton did believe that a lot of these uh, defectors that he tortured uh, were in fact Russian spies. I mean, he was sincere in his belief, but it just happens that his paranoid uh, disposition um, made him um, rise in his occupation and made him success successful and let him down this uh, uh, a bad path. It's just the same as, you know, people like Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson did believe that there was a, you know, a loss in Vietnam would lead to a domino effect and or that um, uh, uh, the people in the Bush administration did believe on some level that, you know, like um, uh, Saddam Hussein represented a, a, a wider threat, uh, whether they specifically believed in the weapons of mass destruction or not. But, but I mean, like that belief can be coupled with threat inflation and be coupled with a sort of, you know, unwillingness to practice diplomacy or to look for other options. And like, I think I think all these patterns uh, go um, hand in hand. Uh, the only thing I would emphasize, though, is like, I mean, there's been so many of these stories recently and they're so outlandish that it almost seems like there's a kind of search for a threat like there's a kind of desire for a threat to you know justify america's place in the world and um i you know there's a an article that appeared in foreign affairs uh, in 2020 um uh, that was uh, partially written by uh, uh, Jake Sullivan, who's uh, now a high official in the Biden administration, and talks about the um, desirability of what they call a Sputnik moment, uh, the notion of a new Sputnik moment, one that galvanizes public research as powerfully as seeing the Soviet Union launch the world's first satellite dead. Um, uh, would be something that would be uh, help restore American economic and technological leadership. Now, uh, and what I find 
perhaps a little bit pathetic is that if you're searching for a new Sputnik moment, you know, like Sputnik was a real achievement. Like it was, it was a real thing that the Soviets put up, you know, this satellite, uh, you know, like really advanced rocketry and, you know, human exploration of space. Um, and as against, you know, the, the real uh, development of Sputnik, which did galvanize American uh, uh, science and research and global leadership, now we have things like Havana syndrome and uh, things like balloons, you know, like I, I feel like a balloon <laughs> is inherently less threatening than uh, a satellite. That, that just means it's almost something a little bit pathetic about uh, this the, the type of Sputniks that they're going to generate. We must not allow a balloon gap, Mr. President. <laughs> yeah. the, 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 you, you laugh, but that, that was literally um, an article <laughs> in the Wall Street Journal. That they they yeah. quoted the uh, uh, think tankers of uh, prominence in the military industrial complex who were saying that there is a possibility of a balloon gap, uh, which yeah. again, like it's just like you know, like I, I'm sorry if 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 your worry is the United States is falling behind in you know rubber inflatables, then uh, you know like what have we come to? Uh, <laughs> it, it is it is farcical. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot going on here. Uh, I I think. I think this kind of threat inflation is good for a lot of people. It's good for people's political careers. Um, it's good for people who don't have much of a particular political message. They need to fill it in with something. You know, having a, a, a foreign bargain man is always useful for that. It's useful to a lot of people who would stand to make a lot of money uh, from heightened uh, uh, tensions with China. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's also psychologically there is an element to this. You know, we... we it has been said many times before that the United States kind of needs some sort of galvanizing mission, needs some sort of foreign threat to to um, to, to sort of spur itself on. Uh, of course, you had the Cold War with, with the Soviet Union uh, through the 20th century, which did that. Once the Cold War ended, what happened? There was this kind of period of listlessness for 10 years where it was kind of like, well, what are we really doing? We, you know, maybe we'll go intervene and you know, Yugoslavia, maybe we'll go to Somalia, you know, but, but it didn't, there was no sort of cohesive um, reasoning for, for what U.S. foreign policy was and people were kind of uh, adrift. Um, and then you had uh, uh, September 11 and the war on terror became the kind of galvanizing um, uh, uh, cause of, of, of not just U.S. foreign policy, but domestic policy. And I mean, just think about the way that, that you know, the war on terror really seeped into every part of, of American life, I think, over those 20 years. And now I th I think as you uh, very astutely point out there, uh, clearly there is a, there's a, almost a hope that that now China can can provide this um, this kind of galvanizing uh, uh, a threat, outside threat to, to, to restore, well, you know, to, to, to put it maybe a little provocative, to, to make America great again. Um, <laughs> yeah. And to yeah, me, no. it's, it's it's not a coincidence that uh, a lot of this stuff is happening. A lot of the, the you know we, we're seeing tensions ratchet up around the same time that unfortunately the the broken political system um, in the United States uh, means that effectively the, the the once ambitious agenda of the Biden administration that was meant to kind of you know restore America to greatness and show that democracy can still work and so on and so forth. All these great ideals, which I, you know, agree with in theory, um, it 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 it's blocked because of because of partisan gridlock in Washington and because of the the large scale corruption that that 
reins, unfortunately, in the U.S. political system. And so now you don't have that vehicle. Uh, uh, you, you can't seem to get Republicans on board with just, you know, basic common sense measures to, to, to expand the U.S. welfare state to make life easier for working people. And so it seems to me like the hope as well, if we if we point to China and the, and, and the threat China poses, as much as we did once upon a time during the Cold War, maybe we can use that as a, as a kind of um, rhetorical catalyst or a, or a cudgel by which we can kind of um, move things in direction politically. I mean, that, that, that's, you know, the, all this, this talk of onshoring and, 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 you know, uh, investing in not just green energy here, but, but also uh, uh, microchips and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's all being kind of sold as a countermeasure against China um uh, you know which i think reflects that but ironically i don't actually think um even if americans views of china has really soured over the last few years because how can it not given given the amount of kind of negativity um and and sort of you know overblown reporting and threat inflation that we talked about towards the country um even as that that opinion has soured um competition with china is not uh, and, 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 you know, what, how to deal with the, the quote-unquote China problem is not the uh, leading priority for, for most Americans. You can look at that in almost any poll that's taken of, of what uh, Americans think is the most important thing. You know, for them, the main thing is still the economy, inflation. It's, it's, it's things like immigration, um, gun violence, climate change, of course, healthcare, um, reforming the healthcare sector. And, and so I, I'm skeptical of how uh, useful this is actually going to be for that, for that end, you know, using China as a way to kind of sell a renewal of, of the American welfare state or, you know, trying to create some sort of American social democracy. It, it seems like all that's happened is it's, it hasn't done that at all, but what it has done is completely pointlessly ratcheted up tensions between these you know, the two largest economies in the world. Um, and actually, if anything, makes the possibility of of, um, of economic catastrophe for, for the average American much more likely. Because, I mean, if, if hostilities between the U.S. and China break out, I mean, that is going to be absolutely um, uh, terrible for, for, for the economy in the U.S. domestically. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think um, one can sort of see a strategy here, but it's hard to see how it would actually work in practice. Um, I mean, it is the case that, like, the only time the U.S. system is, you know, really effective in, like, getting stuff done is in a wartime mobilization, either the World Wars or in the Cold War. But, you know, I don't think you can necessarily just will something that it, like that into uh, existence. Um, uh, so, and yeah, I don't think it's it's going to solve any of these sort of, you know, domestic polarization or division. So, um, but perhaps on, on, on uh, uh, there's much more that one could say about the dangers of a U.S.-China conflict, but I, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I want to thank, uh, once again, uh, Renko Marchteach uh, of Jacobin Magazine for both his excellent uh, piece he wrote on Havana Syndrome and, uh, and also for unpacking a little bit of this, about what exactly is going on with this. Thanks very much for having me. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.